morning. If you would, turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2, we continue our, our series, Live It Out. And if you're able to stand this morning for the reading of God's Word, go with me to Philippians chapter number 2. And uh, we've been going through this series last couple Sundays, and the series is designed for those of us that know Christ, that have a new, new birth in Christ, were saved, as we just heard about, that this is the part of our lives we're studying now about living out that only God sees. You know, there's a lot of us that everyone else doesn't see, but God knows us better than anyone else. How many of you would agree with that? And so we're talking about that part of our life that only God sees. What's below the surface of our lives that oftentimes we try to protect and keep hidden. And this, the title of the message this morning is, How Low Will You Go? And hopefully you'll see that this morning from our text. But I, I think it, as we look at this passage this morning, I think one of the greatest desires of every Christian, and I hope this is yours, is that you want to be more like Jesus. Uh, that's the Christian life. We're saved, that means that we're Christians, that means to be like Christ, a little Christ. And I hope this is your desire, and, and as God is working in our lives, we need to cooperate with God's working, because what is God trying to do? The Bible says He's trying to conform us into the image of His own dear Son. And we need to cooperate with that work of God in our lives. And so with this in mind, look in Philippians chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 1, and we'll read down to verse number 8 this morning for our text. The Bible says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation." took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When you look at this passage, I want you to look at verse number 5. And let's read this verse together, all right? Everybody see verse 5? All right, let's begin. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you again for the Word of God. I pray that you'd use it in our hearts and lives and help us to understand that, God, you would have us to humble ourselves. Lord, that you would have us to be more like your Son than more like this world. I pray that you would help us to see how important it is to put self down and to put you up. John the Baptist said he must increase and I must decrease. Now, Lord, help us today to learn this truth in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this morning. Now, the Bible says in this passage this morning in Philippians chapter number two that we need to have the 
same mind as Christ. In other words, we need to have the same mindset. Look again there in Philippians 2, look at verse number 6. Here's Jesus' mindset if you're wondering what it is. The Bible says, who, which is Jesus, being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. That was his mindset. He took upon himself the form of a servant. That was his mindset. He was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. That was his mindset. And he became obedient unto death. That was his mindset. God says, look, I want you to have the same mind, the same thoughts that Jesus had. Humility, somebody said, is freedom from pride and arrogance. Humbleness of mind, it's a modest estimate of one's own worth. Boy, you talk to some people and you say, you start talking to them and before long you think to them, you think that they think that they are the greatest thing that has ever happened. I was listening to a press conference uh, of the head coach, the new head coach of the Miami Hurricane football team. Boy, you would have thought that they were going to win the, the, the national championship this year by the way he was talking. Now, I realize some of that mindset has to be, hey, we're going we're to compete, we're going to do well. But can I tell you this morning, instead of having the mind of this world, we need to have the mind of Christ. See, the opposite of humility is pride. That's what it is. It is something that runs deep in our very nature as human beings. Look at these verses from the book of Proverbs. The Bible says, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Notice, by humility, the Bible says, are riches and honor and life. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly the Bible says, is wisdom. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a what? Before a fall. You know, pride is something that, you know, from my background in construction, that oftentimes we pay attention to uh, the, the house, we pay attention to the walls, we pay attention to the roof, we pay attention to what's on inside of the house, but you know, the most important thing to pay attention to, and it's something if you ever purchase a home, is you ought to pay attention to the foundation. And a lot of times I see houses and I'll see cracks in those foundations. And can I tell you that when you see a crack in the foundation, if it is not dealt with properly, it can and will become catastrophic. Something is going to happen. That foundation that is cracking today will start to crumble where eventually the house will start to settle. The things will begin to move around in the house to where eventually if something isn't done, the house could fall. And today when we think about this matter of pride, what is it? Pride is putting self first. That's what we do when it comes to pride. You can see this so many times through social media. You can see it in the way that we talk about ourselves. You can see it in the way that we live our lives. Look, folks, we are experts at pointing out all the faults in everyone else and not seeing any in ourselves. You know, we can see everything that's wrong with everyone else, but we won't look in the mirror. 
we won't notice the crack in the foundation. And this morning, I want you and I to focus individually. I don't want you to be thinking about somebody else today. I want you to be thinking about your own heart. I want you to be thinking about your own life. And I want you to focus on everyone, myself included, our need for humility. And while we do this, here's what I would ask of you today, is ask God to give you wisdom to point out and put his finger on whatever it is in your life that would be considered pride. Because if you do that, God will show whatever it is in your life. Folks, we all suffer from it. I know as men, we, we struggle with this matter of pride, but what is James right? Notice, humble yourselves in the sight of God and he shall lift you up. In other words, how low will you go? Will you humble yourself today? And let's discover some of the characteristics and some of the actions of those that we see in the Word of God. And specifically this morning, we're going to look at the greatest example of those that would choose to walk humbly. See, they are people, first of all, that seek a walk of unity. If you look back in Philippians chapter number 1, notice again verse, uh, chapter number 2, look at verse number 1. And notice these words, the first one is the word if, a conditional word, and it says, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Now, it sounds to me like, it's describing someone here that is seeking a walk of unity. It is somebody that is uh, desiring to have a humble walk. And when I look at the Word of God, I realize that a humble person is somebody that is a peacemaker. They're looking for a way to walk in unity with others. We live in a world today that, that is so prevalent, this area of disunity. The word, there's so much disunity, controversial issues. Every time you turn on the TV, every time you listen to the news, there's controversy going on, there's gossip. Uh, I just wish, and again, I'm not going to make this a political thing, I just wish our president would quit tweeting. Be a man, you know, just run the country. Uh, ask God to give you wisdom. And folks, listen, there's so much disunity in the world, but can I tell you this morning, what humility looks like? Humility looks for solutions. Humility looks for a way to work out the problems. And yes, there are problems. There's problems in our nation. There's problems in our world. There's problems in our lives. And when it, we think about humility, it is someone that is wanting to work out those problems. You know what humility will say? Humility will say some of these words that maybe some have never uttered. I am sorry. I was wrong. Now, I should make you practice that this morning, especially some of you guys. You know, I'm sorry I was wrong. But humility, what does it do? Humility recognizes that God is not interested in assigning blame. What God is interested in is in us solving the problems. And so when we look at this passage this morning, and we're talking about those that seek a walk of humility, notice that it's based on our communion with Christ. 
it, it, as we think about this in verse number one, look at it again. If there be therefore any consolation, notice, in Christ. See, Paul's reminding those in the church in Philippi that of what they had experienced in Christ, that consolation, these attributes that he mentions here in verse number one. Notice again, he says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now, those are, there's some great words here. Notice these attributes. By the way, if you're in Christ this morning, you've experienced this in Christ. But remember, it says that we need to be like-minded. We need to have the mind of Christ. Notice the first word he mentions in verse number one is the word consolation. What is it? It means encouragement. It means a refreshment. Look, when he uses these words, he's actually describing the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in your life and mine. The Holy Spirit of God, what does he do? He comforts us. He's the paraclete. He comes alongside of us. He comforts us. The Bible says when the comforter is come, Jesus said, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Listen, where would we be without God's Holy Spirit working in our hearts and lives? See, we, we have been encouraged in Christ, and what we need to be doing is having that same Spirit. When's the last time you encouraged someone else? because of what God has done in your life. And he says here, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, so notice consolation is, it's encouragement, it's refreshment, but then he mentions any comfort of love. He says, if there's any comfort of love, now what is he talking about here? He's, he's talking about something that is calming, something that is self-sacrificing or consoling. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was on the phone, and I honestly, I, 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 I don't know, maybe I just didn't have the Spirit of Christ the way I should have, and I was, I was trying to comfort them, I was trying to console them. My wife got up and she walked, I love my wife. I'll just say that before I go any further. I really do, I, I mean that with all seriousness. And she got up and she walked past me, and she stopped and turned around to where I could see her. And, and she starts mouthing these words, more compassion. And I'm like, I'm doing that. I mean, I'm trying to be that, you know. And my old pride was like, what are you talking about, woman? Go, go do something. I'm on the phone. I'm trying to help somebody here. You know what that is? That's pride. You know, how dare her tell, I'm a pastor of a church. I can't believe she's telling me how to, how to help someone. See, when you think about what he says here, comfort of love, what is he saying? We are to offer to others what we've received. What have we received? The love of Christ. How many of you know God loves you today? Hey, listen, if God loves you, then you need to show the same love God loved you with to others. That's what he's saying here. The, that, that agape type love, the kind of love that only the Spirit of God produces in our lives. Listen, the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, and so on. In this matter of loving others, if you and I, when we think about this love that God has for us, he says, are you comforting others with the same kind of love that God's comforted you with? And listen, oftentimes because of our communion in Christ, we can do that. But then notice he goes on, look at it in verse number one. Then he says this, 
if there be any fellowship of the Spirit. Now, this particular phrase deals with, he's talking about something that is intimate. It's a personal relationship. Look, I hope that you have a personal relationship with the Lord this morning. I hope that you're enjoying that, that communication with you and God. I hope you got up this morning and spent some time with the Lord. And I was reading my Bible this morning and God gave me something for my life. And then God gave me something for one of my brothers in Christ. And I, I shared that with him this morning. And I just, I, I want to try to have fellowship in the spirit, that relationship. And the question is, listen, we who have that relationship with the Lord, are we desiring to communicate and fellowship with others the way we have fellowship with God? Hey, folks, you get up in the morning, you spend time with God, you know what you have for the rest of the day? Something to share with other people. Why? Because you spent time with the Lord. I appreciate some of our members who, who will text me and, and, and email me and say, I had such a sweet time with the Lord this morning. And they begin to tell me about things that, listen, honestly, I, I love to hear what they say, but you know what? It meant more to them than it means to them relaying it to me because they were the ones that spent time with the Lord. And he says right here, if there be any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, and then he says any fellowship of the Spirit, he's saying, look, if you're spending intimate, personal time with God, then you need to be communicating and fellowshipping with other people what God is doing in your life. And then notice the fourth thing that he says here is this characteristic of, he says, if there be any bowels and mercies. Now the word bowels, I think we all understand it. It's talking about the innermost part of us. Down there in the, the bowels of our, our being. He says bowels and mercies. What is he talking about here? He's talking about strong, compassionate emotions. Somebody years ago said compassion is having their hurt in our heart. And that's what he's saying here. He says, look, if you're having genuine care, do you really care about others' needs? Now, sometimes we might say that we do, but really, do we? Is it from here, from the bowels and mercies in our lives? Do we really care genuinely? Paul had experienced these things, the consolation in Christ, the comfort of love. He had experienced the fellowship of the Spirit and the bowels and mercies. And because Paul had experienced these elements in Christ, what he's doing here is he's writing under inspiration is he's encouraging us then to give these to one another who are a part of the family of God. In other words, if you have received consolation from the Lord, he wants you to console others. If you have had love from God, he wants you to share that love with others. If you have had fellowship and communion with God, share that with others. If you, Look, if you, if you have a need, uh, understand the needs of others, then share that with others. Look, it is all based on our communion in Christ. But then notice secondly, as we think about seeking a walk of unity, it's also evidenced by the character of Christ. Because look at verse number two. After he gets beyond these characteristics, he says these words, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now the word like-minded, to be like-minded with other believers means that our love comes from the same source. I hope that your love is the love that comes from God himself. 
And that's what he says here, being like-minded. Notice he's talking about one love. He's, he's talking about spiritual unity through love. It's not a way of controlling other people. John wrote these words, Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to also love one another. With that love that God has loved us, he says, look, you need to have one love, but you also need to be of one accord. He's talking about being unified in our spirit. He says here that unity is something that, look, I know this, it takes effort, it takes work to have unity among the brethren. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 3, it says endeavoring, notice the word there, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, there needs to be a harmony among us, not a disunity like the world, but a harmony. And he says, look, if it, the, the character of Christ that we need to have is one love, be of one accord, and look at this, have one mind. This is talking about directing our minds to the same focus, having the same purpose. I heard a story about a wife, and she was doing some cleaning around the house, and she was doing in the bedroom, and she was cleaning. She started going through some of the drawers in the bedroom, and when she was going through one of the drawers, she found two old black and white negatives that were in the drawer, and she got kind of curious, and she thought, I wonder what these are. They were in her husband's drawer. And uh, she got a little curious, so she decided she was going to take them, and she did. She went down to the store. She took them to the photo uh, booth there, and she asked them to develop those. She received those pictures, and when she began to look at those pictures, it was actually a picture of her and her, and her husband on their first date many, many years ago. And she was, she was really taken. She was actually kind of surprised that he still had those. And so she showed them to her husband. She said, look at these pictures. I found these in your drawer. I had these developed. And he looked at it, and his face lit up. And he says to her, he says, wow, look at that. That was my first Plymouth. <laughs> now, her focus and his focus were two different things. I'm sure he received a little love tap from her after that. But oftentimes, people see things differently. Look, if you're married, you realize men and women, husbands and wives, we always see things differently. And when I think about this matter of having different focus, a humble person, what do they do? They seek to have the mind of Christ. A humble person is someone that aligns themselves with others who have that same mind. Look what Paul wrote there in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 7. He says, only let your conversation, your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. And watch this, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, you think about, and, and I, over the years I've watched a few times, maybe sat and listened to orchestras and things like that, and a lot of times if it's, a, if it's a good orchestra, it's a beautiful thing to hear them play all those instruments and be so well-tuned to have the harmony that they do. And I was reading, because I'm not an official on this, but I was reading about how oftentimes what they do is in an orchestra, they, they will uh, tune all the instruments to a single standard. Many times what they do is they will use the first violin to tune because if they don't, if they just tune them to one another, they're not going to have harmony or unity. 
And I got to thinking about that. You know, if they do that to make beautiful music, the Bible says for us, we need to be like-minded. Well, we all need to have a single standard that we tune our lives up to, and that standard is Jesus. All of our lives need to be tuned to Christ. And in a church, unity is gained when all the members are walking with God. In a home, unity is there in a Christian home when the family, the husband, the wife, the children are walking together with God. And what we need to be doing, as it says here in Philippians 2, we need to be seeking to have a walk in unity, one that is characteristic of a person that is going low, that understands that they need to be living a life of humility instead of a life of pride. And so we need to seek this walk of unity. But notice as we're seeking that walk of unity, he continues. And he says, secondly, while we're seeking a walk of unity, we need to separate from contention. Now look back in your Bible there, look at verse number three. He moves on in verse three and he says these words, let nothing, say those two words, let nothing, no thing, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in what? Lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let's say that last part, let each esteem others better. That's a hard one. Let each, every one of us, esteem others better than... You say, how is this possible? You miss verse 1 and 2. If there be any consolation in Christ, any, any bowels of mercies, all those of the fellowship in the Spirit. Folks, if all of that is there, we will be able to separate from contention. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Well, again, how do we do that? How do we make that choice? Notice, first of all, we've got to refuse strife. Strife is where we put ourselves forward. We self-promote ourselves. We try to promote uh, ourselves, our agenda. Uh, agenda. Many times what we'll do is, while we're trying to do that, we will slander others. We'll backbite. We'll gossip about other people. And the Bible says in Proverbs 26, where no wood is, the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. We see this clearly. Look at the same chapter there. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. The world that um, we live in, look, the world uses these tactics. They, they will backbite. They will gossip about people. They will try to tear people down. Listen, can I tell you, the world might use those tactics, but a Christian should never use those tactics. We ought not to, to, to go that direction. Our speech should be used to build people up instead of tear people down. Look at Ephesians 4 and 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Boy, that'd solve a lot of problems right there, wouldn't it? No corrupt communication. But that which is good to the use of what? Edifying. That's building up. That it may minister grace to the hearers. Folks, listen, even this morning in this message, with all my heart's desire, I'm not trying to tear anybody down. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad this morning. The truth is God's word will edify us. God's word will build us up instead of tearing us down. And he says, look, let no corrupt communication, that word corrupt communication 
Can I tell you, it also can apply to any type of electronic communication too. Not just words out of our mouths. We can send a, an angry email or a text to someone. We can send all kinds of transmissions electronically, but listen, as we're doing that, what we're doing is we're not guarding our own hearts against the strife that comes in any form. See, when we have these interpersonal, between us and someone else, when we have this strife that is between us and somebody else, you know what it's doing is it's distracting us from the real spiritual battle that's taking place in our lives. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, why? That he may please him, who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so look, what is the devil doing? The devil loves it when you and I as Christians, as believers in Christ, he loves it when we begin to argue with one another. And so what do we have to do? Is first of all, we've got to separate ourselves from contention by refusing strife. Then notice, we need to maintain a lowliness of mind. Look back in verse number three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now that word vainglory, it's an interesting word. It, it actually means to have an erroneous or a wrong opinion of yourself. We oftentimes, here's what we do is we think too highly of ourselves. I mean, we love to talk about ourselves. Look what the Bible warns in Galatians 6, 3. If any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. That, put, that puts it pretty plain right there. God tells us that we need to replace strife. We need to replace vain glory with what? Lowliness of mind. Humility. To have a humble opinion of ourselves. Look, I know this. If there's anything good that comes out of my life or anything that com good comes out of your life, it is not because of us. It is because of God working in us and God working through us. We've talked about that before, about how God should get the glory. Look what it says here when you think about the grace of God in Romans 12, 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among us, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Folks, listen, we shouldn't be focusing on the gifts. We should be focusing on the giver of the gifts. We should be focusing on the Lord. And when I think about this, many times what helps me to keep things in perspective is one place. It's called Calvary. Oftentimes when I think about uh, who I am or what I've done, I start to think about Calvary and how it puts everything into perspective, especially in this area of humility, because it shows me who I am, but it also shows me who he is. And I think about this. Calvary, we see when you look at the cross, you know what you see? You see how foolish many times the strife and the contention is. All of it is, is just pride. Look at Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So we need to maintain, the Bible says here, a lowliness of mind. But in the last part of verse number three, it says to esteem others better than ourselves. So notice then we also need to esteem others better. 
And the word esteem means to set value on. In other words, to, to put others before ourselves. And look, it ought not to be that something that we ought to get the glory out of it, but that all the glory goes to God. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. Peter writes these words, Yea, and all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So as we think about this, look, we need to be seeking a humble walk. And notice, secondly, we need to separate from contention. But thirdly, we need to serve others in need. You see, when we listen to verse number one and two, and then we get to verse number three, let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, esteem other better than themselves. Look at verse four now. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You see, hours before Jesus was betrayed and Jesus was eventually crucified, just hours before that, if you've read this in the gospel records, here's what you find is Jesus' disciples are sitting around and they're bickering about who's the greatest. They were having a Muhammad Ali moment. And they're having this discussion, think about this, just hours before Jesus went to the cross to die for their sins, to die for the sins of the whole world. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he responds to their argument by telling them that true greatness is having the humility to serve. He says, that's what greatness is. Now, that's not what the world wants. The world wants to be served. They don't want to serve. And notice as we think about this matter of humility, it comes with serving others that have needs. Look at Luke twenty two twenty seven. 27. Whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. See, they thought, hey, the one that's being served, the one that's somebody's bringing him his meal. He naturally, because the servant is less than the one receiving the meal. And Jesus says, but what am I doing? I'm among you serving. He really gave this probing thought to them because the posture of greatness is the position of the servant. And that's what he's showing. That's what God is showing us this morning. We think there's greatness in a title. We think there's greatness when it comes to having a prestigious honor uh, to our name or who we are. We think that greatness comes in in holding some sort of political office, but that is not what God sees about greatness. God says greatness is serving, serving others that have needs. Notice it's, a, it's an unselfish look. In verse number four, again, here's what he says. Look not every man on his own Things. The word look means to, to fix your eyes upon, to direct your attention to. Look, when I think about this this morning, somebody that has an unselfish look is somebody that's walking in humility, that has learned how to not allow their own burdens and not allow problems in their life to consume them or hold them back from being able to do what they need to be doing, and that is focusing on the needs of others. Miss Mickey called me the other day or texted me, and she said, uh, Pastor, I have a man that lives in my building, and she said, uh, 
He, he has talked to me a couple times, and I've had discussions with him, and, and uh, he'd like to see if you'd be willing to come and see him. To be honest with you, I, I have all kinds of things, and not to say I'm too busy, but uh, he's not a member of the church, and, and I thought to myself, well, I don't know if I have time, and I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, Jesus wouldn't have a problem going to see the man. You know, it doesn't matter if, if there's something in it for me. And so I told her, I said, I, after I got my heart right with God, I said, yeah, I'd love to go see him. Some of you have heard her ask for prayer. His, he's her neighbor, and his name is Mr. Wilson. Some of you are smiling. His name is not Dennis, all right? So I went to see Mr. Wilson. I had a great time. You know what? I'm glad that I took an hour to go see Mr. Wilson. I look forward someday. He's not a member of our church. He's a believer in Christ. I look forward someday to saying a few words at his graveside. He's 84 years old. He's got double pneumonia. He's always going to have pneumonia in his lungs. He's Physically, he's not in good shape, and he, and, he, and he honestly was on death's door. Everything happened in his life. The only thing they were waiting on was the person to show up at Century Village to pronounce him dead. His family was all around him, and he opened his eyes, and he saw his son, and he says to his son, he called him by name because there's five generations, their names are all Jim. I had fun with him because I said, do you know what George Foreman named his five sons? George, 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 and George. That's what he named his sons. Talk about confusion in a house. And so I, I said, I was sitting there listening to him, he said, and I opened my eyes and he said, I just said this word, Jim. And he said, my son turned around and looked at me and said, Dad, you're alive. And he said, yes, I am, and I'm hungry. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, I'm hungry. And he sat in his chair with his, with his oxygen and really can't get around much, got people coming to his house all day, a couple times a week. And he said these words to me. He says, Pastor, he goes, why me? I, I don't understand why God left me here. He goes, but I just know that there's a reason. And I said, Jim, you know what it is? It's what you're doing right now. You're telling me about what God has done in your life. I said, and you know what? God's bringing people to you. I said, you think about your family members and you think about these people that work and come here and take care of you. God's given you an opportunity to meet others' needs. And this is what we see when it comes to humility is focusing on others instead of focusing on ourselves. See, it's, it's an unselfish look. We, we need to keep tabs, no doubt, on our own business, on things going in our lives, but we also at the same time need to be looking for opportunities to meet the needs of others around us. I was telling some of our folks this morning, I said, you know, it helps me to feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do when I take my eyes off of myself and help those around me. And so notice, it, it was not only an unselfish look, but it's an 
it's an outward look. Go back to verse 4, and I, I don't know if you caught this, and I, I really didn't catch it for a long time, but God showed it to me this week. Notice what he says here. Look not every man on his what? own things, but watch the last part of the verse. But every man, what's the next word? So while you're looking on your own things, he says, notice, every man also on the things of what? Others. See, that's an outward. See, it's an unselfish look, but it's, it's an outward look, also on the things of others. A humble person is focused on serving others. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to give his life a ransom for others. Every day of his life, he lived it for others instead of for himself. There's a lot of things in our lives that are outward in our lives, and they're outside of our control. But I'll tell you this, one of the things that we can control is, is the things that we'll do, how we'll extend kindness to others. Galatians 5.13, but brethren, ye have not been called unto liberty. He says, notice here, or excuse me, ye have been called unto liberty, but let, use not that liberty for an occasion to the flesh. In other words, don't live your life for yourself. Don't do what you want to do. He says, but by love serve one another. He says, see beyond yourself. That's what a humble person will do. They will set aside their own preferences and they will limit their liberty. Why? Because they want to be able to serve other people. And there's not a greater example. Look back in verse number five of this, where it says, look, now that we've talked about this, he says, let this mind, what mind? Everything we've talked about this morning, this matter of humility, this matter of walking in humility, seeing the needs of others. He says, let this mind, not a mind of contention and strife and vainglory, but he says, esteem others better than yourself. Learn to serve other people. Be humble in your spirit and your attitude. He says, let this mind be in you. What mind? The mind that was also in Christ Jesus. There's not a greater example than Jesus' example. Now, I want to share with you, because remember how we talked about those cracks in that foundation, and if something isn't done? You could be sitting here this morning and thinking, well, I've heard all that, Pastor. I've listened to the message. And honestly, I'm good. If that's your attitude this morning, I would say then you're suffering from something called pride. The question is this morning, will you humble yourself? in the sight of God. I'm going to ask uh, two of our guys, Patrick, would you come up here? And Brother Greg, would you come up here for a second? Come up onto the platform if you would. I'm not going to get food out. I told somebody I'm not going to do another illustration with food. <laughs> stand over there if you would, right over here. There you go. You stand over here. Okay, hold that. And you hold that. Face this way. So, there's a game that probably all of us have played. Anybody know what it's called? Limbo. And you know the whole premise of the game is, how low can you go? You know what's interesting is, limbo is actually a word that comes from Trinidad, and it actually has Jamaican roots. The word limbo literally means to bend. You ever see people, I, I was never good at this. When it was at this height, I was okay. 
But when it got down here, and I would see people contort their bodies and go under it, and I was just like, it's never going to happen. This fat white boy can't get under that. (laughs) But you think about this. Jesus did not come with the bar here. Put that down around your ankle. I'm not going to go under it. (laughs) Some of you are looking at me. I'm not going to go under it. But Jesus came in lowliness. He was born in a manger. He did not come with fanfare. There was no parade. Jesus came lowly, sitting upon the foal of an ass to go to a place called Calvary. And many times we live our lives, we're so full of ourselves. And what God is saying is, look, I want you to lower the bar. I want you to set aside pride. And I want you to understand that if you would humble yourself, that in due time, I will lift you up. How low will you go? Are you willing Are you willing to forsake whatever it is in your heart and life? Remember, I asked you this morning, ask God to give you wisdom, whatever it is, and he'll show it to you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed? I wonder this morning, how many of you are sitting in this auditorium and you've been living your life your way you think that you can live a life a certain way and go to heaven and because of pride you have not opened your heart to the gift of God which is eternal life through Jesus Christ and you know what's going to keep you from going to heaven someday pride because you think you're good enough. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you humble yourself today to admit that you're a sinner and that Christ died for your sins? Would you come to Jesus today? And if you are saved, and I believe many of you are this morning, it's easy to see the faults in everyone else and not in ourselves. And God is showing you today, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is in your life, God says, why don't you give it to me? Why don't you let go of that? Strife, vainglory, contention. You see, you've received much if you're saved. Consolation, comfort of love, fellowship in the spirit, bowels and mercies. But are you like-minded? Do you have the same mind, the same heart, the same love that God has for you? If not, you're not humbling yourselves. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.